that was how to make the elixir of life and holy grail. Next up. I'm a mortal. Your source for all things immortal. My name is Liz Parrish. I'm the CEO of a company called BioViva, and our goal is to genetically modify humans so that the human's body stays in homeostasis, therefore not dying of the diseases of aging and lives a long, healthy, and fruitful life. All right. Thank you, Liz. And before we dive more into BioViva, uh, we have plenty of questions on that. Uh, one question we always ask at the beginning of I'm Immortal, well, you can kind of tell by the name, is what does the word immortal or immortality mean to you? Well, so we're a health span company. We want you are trying to basically square the curve of morbidity, meaning that we want you to live as healthy as long as possible. But there are implications and there are scientific applications for the word immortal in there. And so what that would be is that when you modify an organism's cells, whether that be a human, a turtle or a bowhead well, to have more cellular divisions than they would otherwise, if they can avoid senescence, that is called immortalizing a cell line. And so if we can help you live healthier 20 years longer than you naturally would have, you would by definition have an immortal body scientifically at the cellular level. Mm. So would you choose to live an extra 20 years in your definition or potentially forever if you had the option to? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when I first got involved in this, I was looking for cures for kids. My son was recently diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and I ran into the aging research when I was looking for genetic cures for kids. And it, I had a lot of realizations. First, I was actually quite insulted, like most people are. Wait a minute. What do you mean people want to live longer? Doesn't that seem a little selfish when kids are dying? And then I had the quick progression to wait a minute, I don't want to die today. And most people I talk to, you know, they'll say, oh, yes, I don't mind dying in 20 years. Well, that's really convenient when you put it off. So today I want to live, I can assume that in 20 years on that day, I'll want to live. And if it was 150 more, I would also choose to live that day being part of well, one of the most intelligent uh, species on the planet, which are humans. I mean, this is what we have the time and luxury to consider and our consciousness gives us the ability now i'm going to preface with that with i think that a lot of animals are conscious completely conscious i'm a vegetarian i'm mostly vegan i believe in consciousness upon the whole spectrum of life but we have the ability to tell time and prepare for the future in a way that we don't see in other organisms and so having that ability, we should be using it 100% to modifying our near future, which is the diseases of aging. Okay, well, I guess we're talking about future, because I'm sure BioViva, we're going to hear more and more about it in the next decades to come. Well, yeah, what is BioViva all about? What are you guys doing in terms of the whole future and longevity field? So we do, we do a several things, you know, we're either like, on the top or on the bottom, depending on how the media spins us, which is which is quite harsh. So, you know, it's great when we get to talk about the amazing things that we're doing and actually get to express that to people and how that touches their lives. So we do three things. Uh, one thing that we're doing is bioinformatics and we are selling our kits and other companies kits that are a good assessment of looking at your biological age and your, your risk of disease. And that's really fantastic. 
that also plays into what we do, which is more controversial. Uh, our company will analyze the data from medical tourism and people who use consensual use of gene therapies, stem cells, anything in the regenerative medicine space. And we will actually, if allowed by the companies, we will create scientific papers and put those out. And the reason that some people are against that is because they are not often clinical trials run through the FDA. And, but we think that this uh, data is, is the most important data in the world. It's how regenerative therapies work. And so we, we put ourselves out there to do that. And then the third thing that we do is what do we do with all of this data? Well, we are working to make better drugs. We'll be releasing our paper this year of a three-year study that we did with Rutgers University, uh, designing a new viral vector delivery for gene therapy so that in the future, you can get multitude of genes that will treat biological aging. So, so far thus in our research, we have not found one gene that will cure aging, but we've found a myriad that will benefit the aging body and maybe even reverse uh, signs of aging. So we wanna combine those together, get those through animal models, through the preclinical, and then get those into an IND to use in humans. Mm-hmm. I feel like you covered a lot of the questions I was ready to follow up with, with uh, <laughs> Marvin's question, but I still do have one set in stone. Uh, I wanted to ask, what is the, obviously, other than, you know, going over regulatory hurdles with medical tourism, what other benefits might a patient have by being treated outside of the United States? Well, the truth is they just get faster access. And so I'm writing my thesis right now for my MBA, and its focus really is on a regulatory path in the United States that would work much in the way that medical tourism works. People are diagnosed every day with chronic illnesses, with terminal diseases. These patients don't have access to technology in the U.S., and yet the U.S. just showed in the last year that we can make a vaccine for a pandemic. So we know that we can move much more quickly and these people want to, and they don't have the luxury of time. So your biggest benefit of medical tourism is the luxury of being able to access something now that wouldn't be available. Even if we got approval today to start doing human studies, it wouldn't be available for 15 more years to the general public, okay? 41 million people will die of aging today. So this gives people the ability to access these technologies. Another benefit of medical tourism is it has been historically and will continue to be cheaper than using a regulated drug within industrialized countries. So today, the cheapest gene therapies in the United States is, I think it's, what is it, $450,000 to treat one eye if you have congenital blindness with gene therapy. For that amount of money, offshore, you could treat your whole body with a regenerative gene therapy. Actually, it wouldn't even cost that much. So offshore use of therapeutics is always going to be less costly. And proof in point, this is one of the reasons why medical tourism is so popular. So in the United States, if you need an open heart surgery, it's about $157,000. If you go to India to get that open heart surgery, it's $9,000 and actually your chance of survival is higher. And that's staggering, okay? So, you know, when we look at bioethics, we, I don't believe that we should be pointing the finger at the pioneers, at people taking agency and autonomy of their own body to use it. I think we should be pointing the finger at the U.S. regulatory system and why it's making expensive drugs that people can't afford, even if they could access them. 
my next question was because you mentioned autonomy right and taking care of your own body i know like a few years ago like before i even got to university i was learning about telomeres and telomerase and i happened to stumble across your whole story with being patient zero like most trials are not really centered they're clinical trials right a lot of people so it was a shock to hear that someone was being patient zero and like it was, it was crazy do you mind explaining a little bit about that and going over that a little bit sure so in, in 2015, when we launched the company, we were deeply impressed by two gene therapies. One of them was the telomerase-inducing gene therapy, and the second one was a myostatin inhibitor. Uh, the myostatin inhibitor had the potential to not only help childhood disease, but to increase the muscle mass of an aging population. My idea was the, the fastest way to get drugs to kids was to get them in humans and have a safety and efficacy profile in people who needed them now. So that gene therapy already had a safety and efficacy profile uh, with muscular dystrophy. And so moving that quickly to an adult population and getting thousands of people's data instead of the six person's data that they had, uh, I thought would be highly important. Telomerase induction targets the most hallmarks of aging of any gene therapy that we know of outside of the Yamanaka factors, which you know would reverse the aging cell to an embryonic state, but that is not a state that you, you, you don't want yourselves de-differentiated. You know, you need your heart tissue to be heart tissue and, and so on. So it can help a myriad of childhood diseases and help an entire aging population. So we were really excited about these two gene therapies. And I said, you know, instead of being like some companies and saying here, we might have something that might work in humans, give us hundreds of millions of dollars, and we'll let you know at the end of the day whether it failed or not. Uh, I thought, let's just raise enough money to do the first human test subject. And we talked about it for about a year. And I just decided because we didn't know the known effect of HTER in a human body yet, nobody did. And we didn't know what they would do together, although it looked like they would be very synergistic. I decided to take them myself. And so in September of 2015, I took the two gene therapies. It was a proud moment. There was a lot to think about. It was a crazy day and crazy weeks to follow. And, you know, I, I feel, of course, now being on the right side of history, <laughs> that, that we definitely did the right thing. So all's well that ends well, right? <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Uh, just as a really quick follow-up, just from my own curiosity, were there any repercussions, either physically or legally, if you're allowed to talk about it, from doing this patient zero experiment on yourself? You know, there were not any legal issues around it because I was the owner of the company and I chose to take the therapeutic myself. I was very informed about the technology and we did it outside of the U.S. regulatory system to not cause any problems here. Mm. Okay. Okay. Well, I guess I'll follow up because... As I said, I love telomerase telomerase. Like I think first learning about BioViva, like that was my first introduction to it, even back in high school. And one of the things I was so certain of, like depending on which biology professor I asked, some would say telomeres were like a hallmark of aging, like they weren't driving it. And others were very adamant, like, no, like telomeres, like that's the way to go. So I just wanted your take on it in terms of, I mean, it's a little bit biased. I'm sure you have an answer, but what, what, what does BioViva think of telomeres? Is it a hallmark or is it a driver? It, well, the hallmarks of aging are the drivers of aging. So they're the processes that are happening at the cellular level that drive the aging cell. Um, so 
I mean, telomeres shorten because of cellular processes. So the telomeres don't magically become short. Uh, they become shortened with cellular division or cellular, massive cellular damage. And so, um, and then those hallmarks of aging are sort of the underlying, the underpinning of the, the negative effects that are happening in the cell that then drive the diseases uh, that we die of. So, you know, mitochondria dysfunction and senescent cell buildup and things like that. Mm -hmm. So with telomere length, um, is it more closely tied to health span or lifespan? That is really a great question. So there's this, so when you, we look at telomere length, the short telomeres are associated with when you'll be diagnosed with diseases, but telomeres can stay short chronically short in an aged person for a while. So you don't get down to 5,000 base pairs and just drop dead, but you generally then have a lot of conditions around your health. So when we look at telomere length, it's not an exact age, although there are age groups that are synonymous with certain lengths of telomeres, okay? It all kind of falls apart when they get chronically short, but if you want to increase lifespan, if you want to increase lifespan, and most people would want to, you have to lengthen the telomeres because your body cannot go through more cellular division. So from everything from cascading immune system effects to your skin filling up with senescent cells, cells that can no longer divide, your, your, your cells can't divide when these get critically short. So as you can imagine, our cells replace damaged tissue. And if they're at the end of the cellular division cycle, they can no longer replace it. And for instance, when people get COVID and they're very old and their white blood cells go to do a bunch of divisions, but they have chronically short telomeres, they can't. And then we see really bad outcomes. So on the flip side then, because I've always seen, yeah, telomeres short equals bad. You want to extend telomeres, but is there a certain length that's optimal? Is there any problem with super long telomeres in that case? There was a really great paper that came out about two years ago. It was once believed that very long telomeres might have a negative effect. And this paper essentially broke down that no, they actually won't have a negative effect. Plus your cell has a blueprint. So they're not going to become, they're not going to go out of control. You're not gonna end up with my hair in, in your telomeres. You're gonna have you know, your, your proper cut for, for your cells and your chromosomes. So we don't expect that they would get out of control long to begin with, but there is no known negative side effect of long telomeres unless you have a condition called cancer. And um, cancer cells use telomerase to immortalize the cell so that they can have a myriad of cell divisions. And that's why cancer is able to amass a, a lot of tissue. Now, telomerase has never been shown to cause cancer. As a matter of fact, it seems to do the opposite. It seems to protect animal model organisms from getting cancer. And that is fantastic. <laughs> As a quick follow up to that, I've heard a lot of other people discuss the fact that cancer cells are could technically be immortal. And that might be the answer to lengthening our own lives. Do you foresee any future problems with like potentially combining two therapies, whether that be telomere lengthening and potentially creating our cells to mimic cancer cells? Well, we don't want our cells to be cancerous. The cancerous cells are immortal. Immortal. There are two lines of cells that are immortal. One is cancer cells and one is telomerized cells. Telomerized cells are, have 
an infinite, almost infinite, they have more anyway, cellular divisions. Okay, so why do you not want a cancer cell? Cancer cells don't die. We need cells to die. So we, our cells are our soldiers and they go out and they say, when they get damaged, they say, I've got damage. <laughs> and, and they go, oh. and, and then they, they die and they get out of the way. And then the healthy cells fill in those areas. But if you have cancer cells, they have a dysfunction and they're not dying because they have what's um, called genomic instability. So the cell cannot go through apoptosis. So what we did learn from cancer um, is that the safe way to immortalize cells is just using telomerase, which cancer, again, 90, 80 to 90% of cancers use telomerase to make it so they can have a multitude of cell divisions. If they don't, then you have a cancer that has like a limited cell division and those are like, you know, less harmful. So as a just to confirm what we just said, so pretty much you don't want a cell that necessarily is immortal. You just want constant turnover with cells. Is that correct? Well, you want a cell that's immortalized through telomerase. Right. So you want telomerized cells that can live longer, healthier, and but still go through cell death. Mm -hmm. Cancer would be cells that can live extraordinarily long and not go through cell death. And if you did that to all of your body, your body would have to get bigger and bigger and bigger, and it would cut off your vascular vasculation and, and, and it would eventually kill you. And that's what cancer does. Okay. Hmm. So okay, can you talk a bit more about the other therapy? Well, I guess we're jumping ship here, but you mentioned two therapies. One was telomerase gene therapy. Uh, the other one was really full of statin, right? Yep. Yeah. Could you talk about that one a little bit? Yeah, sure. So folistatin is gene therapy that the, the gene itself codes for protein that blocks myostatin. Myostatin is a muscle growth inhibitor. And so why that's important when you're young is, you know, when children are growing, you don't want them to grow excessive amount of muscles. The, the body that would be using all the nutrition to, to grow this muscular body, plus um, that can cause dwarfism. But as we age, uh, you want to suppress the myostatin because we lose muscle mass every year after like 30, we lose some percentage of muscle mass. And this is really detrimental to bodies. Anyone who knows really old people, you'll generally know someone who died after they fell and broke their hip and ours had multiple injuries. And even my best friend's mom died a couple of years from, from frailty. She just literally fell down and hit her head. So it's, it's a deadly condition. And we would like people as they live longer to be just as viable and capable of going out there and doing the things that they love to do so that their life has the meaning that they want it to have. They are able to participate. So by increasing muscle mass, you create a body that is just stronger healthier. And it also has a whole bunch of other benefits that we just showed in one arm of our research, which is lower HbA1cs, which is driven by lower blood glucose levels. And this metabolic uh, benefit to an organism is really extraordinary. So that was definitely something that we saw modify in my body was the uh, blood glucose and HbA1cs went down. And so that would say that perhaps I'm at much less risk of getting type 2 diabetes. Mm -hmm. So just to quickly follow up on that, did you take the follistatin treatment? Yeah, yeah. I took both the uh, uh, H-TERT and the follistatin treatment in the same day. 
Okay, and just to summarize quickly, so does false statin prevent aging or does it just simply ail the effects of aging or like extend health span? What's, what's exactly the case? That's a good question. We just showed in model organisms that it extended both health span and lifespan by 33%. Oh, wow. 33%. Yeah. So even in the areas of a gene therapy that doesn't exactly target the hallmarks of aging, but it targets effects of the hallmarks of aging, we will see great gains. Oh, oh okay. Well, I have now a follow-up that what they made me think of, which was because when people talk about the hallmarks of aging, they all sound like this is hallmark one, two, three, they're all separate. But if you have multiple gene therapies, do you expect there to be some sort of compounding effect in terms of therapeutic benefit? Yeah, we do. So some gene therapies would target hallmarks of aging, like telomere lengthening. But when you lengthen telomeres, you do other things to the cell. You actually repair the mitochondrial dysfunction. You repair some of the senescent cell propensity. So, you know, you're going to potentially clear out senescent cells. You are potentially going to keep some cells from becoming senescent as long as they're not damaged. You're going to have that better mitochondrial dysfunction. And if we can get so good at this that we target stem cells, you might have the infinite ability to regenerate tissues with your very own internal stem cells. So in stem cell depletion also being one of the hallmarks of aging. Mm -hmm. What do you think might happen in terms of gene therapy and longevity technology by 2050? Oh, I think by 2050, it will just be commonplace. I think that the gene therapies that I got and, and some of the multi-combinations that we're going to be developing will be given like immunizations. I think that at that point, people will take these therapies at much younger ages before the damage happens. And it'll be just part of a regular regimen. It will be given almost like an immunization against cellular degradation. So for people who are getting these therapies, I hope nobody would want to be frail. No one wants to be old. People want to live longer. I hope that's the case. But I suspect there'll be people who might want to try a gene therapy or maybe want a reversal option in the future. Is that something that we need to develop as we develop the, I guess, the anti-aging therapies as well? Or I don't know what the progress is that. Could you explain, I guess, your thoughts on that? I might need you to more clearly uh, explain your question. Like, are you saying that more people will want access to them before they're regulated or, or how are you talking about the democratization of the therapeutics and getting them all over the world? I guess more so in terms of like, my first thought was, this is completely different, but uh, like if, you, if, if a guy has a vasectomy, right, he knows that right now, if he does change his mind, I think there's a very high success rate within 10 years, slightly lower than 15 years. So, and I don't know how many people, what percent of males who get vasectomy actually do reverse it, but I suspect there is some proportion. Otherwise, there wouldn't be that reversal therapy. So as we develop these gene therapies, is there also an option to reverse these as well? Or is it more of a, like, once you have it, there's no really going back? Well, gene therapies have a, a different shelf life uh, than probably once uh than we once thought. So some of the gene therapies that are given today that are considered a, a lifetime cure with one therapeutic may only last for 20 years or so. But I think that if you were, I'm not sure why somebody would want to reverse a regenerative therapy. Maybe they just suddenly say, well, I want to grow old and die. I don't know. I think that for gene therapies, you should be prepared, even if they only last for five years um, to have it, uh, you, you should be pretty prepared to have it for a long time. And that's why we may need to start talking about things like dying with dignity as well. Like, let's say you want to grow old and die. 
well, you may not be able to grow old because maybe you now have a gene set that doesn't allow that to happen, which to me would seem moral and humane, but then you maybe you can opt for not being alive for extended period of time by choosing uh, then to plan your death. So this, do we need to develop or are there epigenetic therapies out there to combat aging? Like, is there enough already out there or do we need to come up with new things? You know, this area is, it needs to grow. We need a lot of solutions. So there's room for more companies and more research. You know, the governments all over the world should be pouring uh, loads of money into these areas as their citizens have decided they don't want dementia, they don't want cancer, they don't want heart disease. And there's really only one way to cure those diseases and that's treating the root cause, the biological aging processes that are happening that are driving those conditions. So as far as epigenetic aging, telomerase seems to have an effect on that. It has an effect on the epigenetic profile, but that is a great area to look at. That's something that's being looked at from offshoots of the Yamanaka factors as well as cellular reprogramming that then they have better epigenetic profile, but again, they're embryonic like cells. So there's a lot of good science to be done in there and it'll be great when it is there's lots of room for research here and there's lots of room for new companies and i'm encouraging you if you're watching you're saying oh i don't know this is over my head i don't know look i didn't know either you can learn you can figure it out and you can help create a company that will look at one of these areas find some great scientists and and get busy all right we just have one or two more questions liz before we start wrapping up and one of them was based off a video I saw recently, which was, I believe it was some way to measure telomeres for your pets, which I thought was very interesting. And I was like, oh, wow, the dog, wow, that's really cool. Like now I don't know, I can know my aging and your aging, right? Mm-hmm. This is sort of very hypothetical into the future, but in my head, I'm thinking, okay, if I would like to have control over my own body in terms of its aging process, hopefully my cat as well. And then if I have kids, that too. Do you imagine a future where even at birth, kids or babies are already going to have the benefit of never aging throughout the rest of their life? Or is it more of something where it's an individual decision later in life where maybe you have to be a certain age, like 18 or older, and you opt in or out of a certain therapy? Is there a sort of future you imagine? Like, what would the ideal be? Well, I mean, we we don't do anything in the embryonic space. But I mean, the most just and rational thing to do would to have children who would not get sick. And I don't know why anyone wouldn't agree with that. You know, why would you wanna say, here's your life, you might have the 80 some years and die of cancer. I don't think that parents would choose for that. I think that people upon listening to me immediately will get defensive and say, oh no, there's a meaning to the circle of life. And of course I wouldn't genetically modify my children. And yet, you know, viruses genetically modify us and and our environment genetically modifies us. And the stress that you had during your life actually has epigenetic effects on your children. So if you could give your children the absolute best, I think that that would be ethical and moral. And it also would be great for the healthcare system, which is a sick care system right now. We would be able to have children healthy without disease and have less limits to their life and life would be fabulous. Now on a completely different note, which was what you started with, we are doing a research project right now, only purebred German shepherds and only 
purebred laboratory retrievers, I think, we are offering a free telomere test and your pet will be part of science. It'll be part of a science paper. And so if you're interested in that, contact us and we'll get a kit out to you. It does have to be in the U.S., unfortunately. And you do have to pay for a vet visit because you're going to need to get a blood draw. Do not do that at home. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for, for bringing that up because our pets are integral part of our lives too. And for some people, they're best friend. And when they die, those people's quality of life goes down significantly. Mm. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who would love their pets to live as long as them rather than, you know, having to watch them pass away. Yeah. Uh, on that line, um, is there any way you think people can misuse or abuse gene therapy if it becomes more common? On top of that, two additional parts of that question is, is there any way we can prevent it? And where might you draw the line in terms of gene therapy? Oh, that's a good question. So where would people abuse gene therapy? I think that gene therapy would be abused if only select groups have access to it. That would be an abuse of technology. Some of the abuses that people might think are abuses, like increasing your muscle mass for performance and things like that, I don't think will be in the future. Those people might pioneer the technology. Hopefully we find out more about the technology by them using it. And then it becomes democratized to everyone. I picture a world where, you know, even in sports, we don't have 20 year olds dying of a heart attack on the field uh, like they do today. I mean, bad things do happen even to, you know, people who we think are in the great shape and we should protect them. But um, abuses of gene therapy, like if I gave myself night vision or if I could see in UV, would that be an abuse of gene therapy? I would have an advantage over people who couldn't do that. But if I did that and it became popular, then everyone would get access to that kind of technology. So as far as like when I look at things like bioweapons and stuff, being in the gene therapy space, it's just so difficult and, and cost prohibitive. Like you could, you could do such worse things with, you know, cyanide or something like that, rather than using gene therapy. Now there are groups who modify live viruses and gene therapy. We don't work with live viruses and, and that's different. You have to be really careful about that. You know, there's speculation around that to this last pandemic may or may not be true. That uh, would be different than gene therapy. Just number one, those are two very different things. But historically, just for the record, all of the pandemics that we have gotten in the past have crossed species. And so, you know, that isn't that isn't like some new made up area. Go back and look at every pandemic, you know, living close with other animals is creates a risk. So I just don't know, you know, I think that it'd be too cost prohibitive to do something really nasty with it because it just costs so much to make. I think that it has a lot of benefits and probably, again, the worry is in the inequities, but I, our company wouldn't be here if we weren't concerned about that and wanting to make sure that everyone gets access to therapies. Okay. Well, I guess for people who do want to learn more about BioViva, I mean, there's the obvious website, but are there any other places we can go to to learn more about you or to support your sort of work? Gosh, so you can go to the website. I think we're on a bunch of social media platforms. If you're interested in supporting us, you know, go buy a timekeeper and uh, check your epigenetic age. And that helps us as well, uh, or buy some of the other tests that are on our site. If you're interested in investing, uh, we'll be opening up to investment in the, in the coming weeks uh, now that our research and development is done. And you can invest in starting the big development of multi-gene deliveries for treating aging. That would be cool. 
And uh, if there's one thing you want people to take away from today, what would it be? Oh, it's always the same thing. You should be really excited about the future. You know, this isn't about a company and it isn't about these fabulous guys who brought you this interview. It's really about you and uh, what your unlimited self looks like. And so I want people to get really excited about their genes about the future. And I want you to be actionable about it. I want you to share information. I want you to go and read a paper of maybe what you might consider an enhancement today, like increasing your muscle mass, what that could do for your health in the near future in your near tomorrow. And um, your education drives these innovations to product. And so, you know, demand access and get behind new routes of regulatory development of these drugs. Yeah, we need people to be active, guys. Hear that if you're listening, get into this field. It's really cool. And on that note, for any of you guys listening, I think, Liz, you mentioned a few. If we mentioned any links, I'm not sure if we did, but if we did mention any, they'll be in the description below. So once again, thank you for coming on I'm Immortal, your source for all things immortal. We really appreciate you coming on to speak with us today. I enjoyed being here. Thank you for having me. Keep up the good work. Get people excited about the future. It's their future and, um, and it affects our future too. 